This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Juicers, I'm Brooke. And I'm Alyssa. And this is For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. Welcome back to episode 49. Almost 50. Almost. Almost. 50. <laughs> um Well, it's crazy that it's so well, I mean it's been a year since we've had the podcast, but almost 52 weeks of recording. Amazing. And we apologize for getting this episode out late. I mean, it's just crazy times. We've been slackers. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but we've also had things going on. Well, Sunday, uh, Scotty and I had to help their uncle move, so that's why we didn't record Sunday. And then Monday, it's just stuff happened. And then Tuesday, is today Tuesday? Today's Wednesday. Wednesday. What happened Tuesday? Oh, um, I took one of my best friends out for her birthday on Tuesday, so we couldn't record then, which, by the way, was we had so much fun. That was like last night was one of my favorite nights of this year. Oh, we had such a blast! Y'all did the axe throwing again, right? Yeah. So first we went to City Pharmacy on the Covington Square, which is where my brother works, and um, he's the bartender there. And so usually when you go to a restaurant and you get a cocktail or whatever, you know it's like made with orange juice or you know some kind of fruit juice or whatever, and like some liquor and mm-hmm. whatever but city pharmacy makes more authentic cocktails mm-hmm. so there's not orange juice or store-bought juices they freshly squeeze limes and lemons and you know they shave their own zest and they have bitters and they put you know like basil and mm-hmm. that lavender. kind of lavender yes lavender seeds mm-hmm. in their cocktails and so um i got um, what what they call um, the Cloud Atlas, which you've had it before, right? Is that the lavender one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it had, I don't really know what's all in it, but it has some some sort of lavender in it and then some lavender seeds and it's super good. And then my brother, um, he comes up with cocktails and they'll add, that, add them to the menu or whatever. And I got a basil something. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I got pretty tipsy, but <laughs> it was so freaking good. That Yum. basil drink, and he sticks like a big piece of basil in it, <laughs> and oh my god, it was so good. And Elena got a cloud atlas, and then she got um, like uh, my brother's version of a mai tai. Mm. And what he does is, I think it was a lime, mm-hmm. and he puts it on top of it, and he puts some sort of, I guess, liquor or something in the lime, mm-hmm. and then he sets it on fire, and then he shaves nutmeg over it, mm-hmm. and it just like you know sparkles. And, I mean, it's, I didn't really care for it too much because I don't really care for nutmeg, but Elena loved it. She drank, like, all of it super fast. So, if you guys haven't been to City City Pharmacy, (laughs) you should go because their cocktails are killer. And their food, honestly, their food is just phenomenal. Their food is phenomenal. This is an advertisement for City Pharmacy. (laughs) Just kidding. It is good, though. It is really good. She got um, a chicken, like, um cavatappi pesto pasta mm-hmm. 
oh my god i should have gotten that it had like <laughs> zucchini and tomatoes in it yummy but i just got the burger because i I'm always like, get the burger it's oh my so god. good they have the best burgers oh my god they really do and you know what i figured something out last night so i thought they specially made their ketchup and mustard mm-hmm. and i asked my brother because i don't like ketchup or mustard but i always eat their ketchup and mustard mm-hmm. and so last night i asked my brother like what kind of ketchup and mustard is this and he was like just your regular store-bought ketchup and, mustard. and i was like no way do i like ketchup and mustard because this is crazy and he was like yeah you just like ketchup and mustard that's and I was hilarious like, okay uh, he thought it was some specially made stuff. I did think it was house made. And he, there's another burger that has like a strawberry habanero ketchup or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's not what you had. So you literally just like ketchup. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> nice. So funny. Oh, yeah. man. And then we went axe throwing. And um, I had gone once before with um, one of my other best friends, Ashton. And um, I've always loved it. It's so fun. Like you just I still haven't done it. And I tried a few months back to like get in, but they were booked for the evening. Dude, we should go together because it's I'd love to. so fun. Just throwing an axe for an hour. Did you guys just walk in or did you make an appointment? We walked in. The, mm-hmm. When me and Ashton went, we made an appointment. But mm-hmm. Elena and I just walked in because it was a Tuesday. Okay. We were the only ones in there. Oh, The cool. entire time. So. Heck yeah. I want to do it. Yeah. It was real. And we could go on like a Tuesday because. Mm-hmm you don't work and yeah yeah so it was we had such a good time and then we went to scoops and got ice cream and sounds like a good night we had we laughed so hard the entire time (laughs) like i was about to pee on myself (laughs) oh good times and also apparently so my uh today my brother texted me and he was like oh and by the way um, you probably didn't know this, but there was a famous TV celebrity chef sitting just a few seats down from me. <laughs> and I was like, what? Who? I don't know any TV grill masters or whatever, but yeah. he sent me um, a picture of this dude and I remembered him being there. He was talking to um, like a, a few people down from Elena. Hmm. And I was like, wow. So, you know, famous people come in there. And So who is it? Um, whoop, sorry. I dropped something. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go look. I don't remember his name. Um, okay, okay. Let's see here. His name is Mo Kaysen. Uh, I don't know who that is either. Yeah, I had no idea, but... Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I thought it was cool. You mm-hmm. know, he was talking up a storm to these people, so... Cool. He seemed nice. Cool. So if you know Mo Kaysen, he goes to... Uh, <laughs> City Pharmacy. City Pharmacy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was your last few days, Brooke? I know you've been doing some special stuff at the shop. Busy, busy, busy. Um, yeah. Actually hired a couple of new girls at the tattoo shop. So we've been doing some uh, building out, adding additional stations in the shop. So that's been, um, I wouldn't say fun, but um, <laughs> it, it was very tiring. And uh, But it looks great. Turned out great. Everything turned out wonderful. I'm very grateful for the help I had. Um, and super excited. We are now a shop of 10 tattoo artists. Like, what? Dang. And you know what's funny? I have had three artists in the last week ask if they could come on. I'm wow. like, <laughs> Kayla, one of my artists, was like, are these people just realizing Cupid Slave's the best? I mean, uh, 
Hello. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I legit, like, we are maxed out. I'm like, my next step is, like, to take over an old Walmart somewhere. Right. Like, <laughs> Just make a What big, am I going to do? Yeah. I'm, I have, yeah, so now I have 26 tattoo artists, 14 piercers, and, you know, like, right. I mean, I don't know what else to do. So I think my next uh, step would probably be to open up, like, a second shop eventually. But right. Yeah. That'd but be right really cool. now, we maxed out, y'all. But look. We got 10 artists, so there is literally someone in my shop that can specialize in anything and everything you could possibly want. Does that include Lindsay? Uh, no, Lindsay would be the 11th, the 11th? because wow. she's the, the cosmetic. Yeah. yeah, so I have a cosmetic tattoo artist that does cosmetic tattooing, microblading, two piercers, and uh, yeah, 10 tattoo artists now. So this is an advertisement for Cupid Slave Tattoo Company. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we were very busy with that over the last couple of days, and it's done now, and it looks amazing, and I'm thrilled about it. So, yeah, if you haven't been to Keep It Slave in a while, come check out the uh, the new look. You know, it's sad because – so I've actually been asked this before from people. They're like, oh, you're so close with Brooke. You must get free tattoos and blah, 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 which I don't, okay? Number one, that's why I have, like, five. <laughs> but – um. I was looking at a picture of you, and it was with Manny in the um, Cupid outfit, and y'all were wearing the glasses or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't recognize a single person except for you and Manny. Oh, really? And I was like, who are these people? Because I haven't been to Cupid Slave in so long. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I'm poor. Oh, my but- god. <laughs> yeah, we do. There's I've brought on quite a few over the past year or so, I guess. Yeah, we've got a great crew. So, Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't been, you should go. This mm-hmm. is an advertisement for Cupid Slave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, is that? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much my weekend. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Don't really have a whole lot exciting to talk about. Um, my daughter has homecoming this Saturday, so that's super oh exciting. Can't wait. Can't wait. So. Well, I cannot believe they're growing. Me and Scotty were talking about that the other day. I have um, a 15-year-old sister who just went to her first homecoming last weekend. And then mm-hmm. Ansley, my niece, mm-hmm. 14, going to her first homecoming this week. And it's just such a bittersweet, just it weird thing. It really is. It's so bizarre. But yeah. I'm so stoked. I can't wait to get pretty pics and... She's going with her best um, guy friend who they've been besties since like elementary school. So I think that's so sweet. Like it's nothing like it's not a relationship. It's just like go have a good time together. And I thought it was so precious that he asked her to go. And yeah, so I'm I'm excited about that. So sweet. I'm happy for her. I hope that she has a good time because Autumn had a blast. Oh, good stuff. Yes. I hated my homecoming because I just, um, it's not really my thing. I only went to one. I never went. I never went to prom either. Really? I'm so glad that Ansley is going and that she wanted to go. Yeah, I went to prom and I went to homecoming once. So would I do them again? maybe i don't know i felt pretty in my dress but but i didn't i just don't really care for that kind of thing high school was i hell for me same so (laughs) not my favorite anyway yeah so um i also just want to point out that um, i show you this every so often um one day i don't know how long it's been it's been months maybe like six months i was chewing some gum and Mm -hmm. i took it out of my mouth and set it down over here and it's still here (laughs) 
Where was it at? It's covered in hair. That's hilarious. It's hard as a rock. Listen. <laughs> was it on the table? It's just right here on this book. This fake book. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. For the entire... When we... It's going to like fossilize. Yes. It's... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just... What's it covered in like dog hair or cat hair? Probably from when your cat jumps up here, but... I don't know. I caught her in your chair the other day. So, yeah, it's probably cat hair. I've caught her in my chair, too. And I'm like, bitch, mm -hmm. good She likes it. She likes my butt. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, we've got some pretty cool stories for you guys today. I guess if cool is the word. Cool meaning interesting, mm -hmm. sad. Mm -hmm. Cool means interesting and sad. Yes. So, oh, really, really quick. I know we'll probably talk about this at the end, but some of you may not listen to the whole thing. So send in your listener juice stories, please. Look, okay, I'm so excited about our next listener juice, which, you know, as soon as you guys send in stories, we'll be doing. But we had a girl, Danielle, is that her name? Um, I think so, yeah. From Ireland, send us a listener juice story and talk about how she's hooked on the podcast. So... Hey, girl, Hi, Danielle. Hey. Thank you for listening. That when I first saw that, let yes. me tell you what, you made my freaking day. Yeah. So I saw it. And I was like, oh my God. And I immediately screenshot her first paragraph where she's like, Hi, I'm from Ireland and um, I'm obsessed with the podcast. I immediately sent it to Brooke and I was like, Holy shit. That's so rad. So thank you, Danielle. And I just think that's awesome. And I can't wait to say. So this is from Danielle and she is from Ireland. <laughs> I'm excited for it. So send too. in your listener juice stories and if you are new to the podcast basically uh every month or so we do an episode of uh well it's your true crime and paranormal story so if you've ever had anything funky happen to you send us a story to our email don't drink the jones juice at gmail.com uh true crime paranormal any of that good stuff we love to read your stories and uh usually the listener juice episodes episodes are a pretty big hit so yeah send them in also, I forgot about this till just now, but you guys have heard us talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, but Brooke and I have finally set a date to go to Corpsewood Manor, mm -hmm. and we're going this... Well, actually, I'm not even going to tell you because I'm scared to tell you, but <laughs> we're going to go sometime soon, yeah. and we're going to record When the you whole were thing. about to say, I was like... <laughs> yeah, to... We're, we're going. going next month okay that's what i'm gonna say we're going next month um but we're gonna record the whole thing and create like um you know a youtube video we're we're gonna try really hard to start posting on our tiktok and our youtube because we really want to grow our audience mm -hmm. um if you guys love us as much as you say you do tell your friends tell your mom tell your dad share tell your aunt, get uncle yeah share our uh episodes to your facebook pages um, to your Instagram stories, you know, share, you know, spread the love. We would really, really appreciate it. We've like, been doing this for a year now. And uh, I mean, I'm very pleased, you know, we have a lot of people that are really, you know, hardcore supporters, but oh, yeah. we need to get Expand. out there more. Yes, yeah, we do. So tell them all. Tell them all. Yes. Um, and if you start seeing, for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice stickers all around town. Mm -hmm. That was me and Brooke. Mm -hmm. Just so you know. <laughs> it's just part of our adver advertising. Advertising. Advertising campaign. So. 
I'm about oh, to start what? knocking door to door. Have Sticking you heard of uh, the podcast? For God's sake, don't drink and the mailboxes. Seriously, <laughs> sticking them to people's windshields. Just <laughs> get a, a, a billboard on I twenty. There you go. Yes, perfect. <laughs> I that how much that actually cost. really help. Yeah, I would, I really do wonder how much that would cost. Right, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one day we can. Uh, yeah do it but for now <laughs> just word of mouth is really what we need yes. and a lot of you do do it we have tons of people um who send invites to their friends and we always accept them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. thank you guys for doing that absolutely all right well without further ado um so i'm doing another shepherd murder um but this shepherd has two peas and it's from the 50s, so it's a lot different than Matthew Shepard, which was a few episodes ago. Um, but I thought that that might be a little confusing for people. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's called with everything I read was the Shepard murder case. So so this one's pretty... Um, so it focuses more on the trial because there's a lot of weird stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, hopefully you're interested in that, but, um, so this is just, it's, it's basically you, at the end, you just don't know the true, the truth. You just don't know. Ooh. I, those, huh? I was talking to your mom about it today when she stopped by. Did she, she know the story? No. Okay. Um, she, uh, you know, she asked me what I was covering cause I honestly was finishing up my research today and mm-hmm. <laughs> she asked me what I was covering and I just kind of briefly explained it to her and you know she asked me what I thought and I don't know genuinely it could go either way so all right <clears throat> so our story starts on July 3rd 1954 Sam and Marilyn Shepard invited their friends Don and Nancy Ahern I think is how you pronounce that along with their two children, over for dinner and a movie at their house on Lake Erie. The two couples had dinner in the screened-in porch while watching the sunset. Don took his two children back to their own house and put them in bed. Then the Aherns lived The Aherns lived in the same neighborhood as the Shepherds, so I guess they felt safe leaving their children at home while they were sleeping. It's also the 50s, so. Yeah. so him and Nancy stayed a bit longer at the Shepherds. Marilyn tucked their son, Chip, into bed and then returned to the living room to watch Strange Holiday with her husband and the Aherns. Um, or Aherns, I really don't know. Marilyn sat in Sam's lap while watching the movie, but he eventually became too exhausted from working at the emergency room at Bayview Hospital, so he went to the daybed in the living room and fell asleep. Midnight rolls around and Marilyn says goodbye to the Aherns and then heads to bed. Almost six hours later at 5.40 a.m., the mayor of Bay Village, Spencer Houck, was awoken from his slumber by a phone call. Mm-hmm. He answered the phone to a panicked Sam Shepard saying, my God, Spence, get over here quick. I think they've killed Marilyn. Oh. So Spencer quickly got dressed and woke up his wife, Esther, letting her know what had just happened. Together, they drove to the shepherd's home where they found Sam leaning back in a swivel chair, holding his neck. Mm. Upon the worried mayor and his wife asking what happened, Sam recounted the events to them. He had been sleeping downstairs in the daybed when he was woken up by Marilyn screaming his name. 
So Sam ran up the stairs as fast as he could and came face to face with what he described as a bushy-haired white form. Hmm. Why are they always bushy-headed? I don't... I think it's like bushy-haired, like a body of bushy white hair. Oh. That's what I interpreted Okay. Because it's a form. Okay. And it's bushy-haired. It's fucking Sasquatch. Like an albino Sasquatch, yeah. (laughs) All right. So this bushy-haired white form was standing next to his wife's twin bed. I guess in the 50s they had twin beds, although it was so weird. They slept separately a lot of times. So weird. Yeah. Um, He tried to fight the form, but it hit him over the back of his neck and everything went black. When he finally came to, Sam rushed over to Marilyn to check her pulse, but unfortunately she was dead. Sam quickly made his way to Chip's room to check on him, and thankfully he was laying soundly asleep in his bed. So Sam ran downstairs and saw the white form rushing out the back door that led out into the shore of Lake Erie, but Sam chased after it again and fought with him. Uh, He lunged and grabbed it, but according to Sam, I felt myself twisting or choking, and this was um, terminated by consciousness. He later came, or, hold on. Okay, he later came to on the beach. He was wet and missing his shirt and watch. Sam hurried back into the house and called Mayor Houck. A lot of the details from the whole event were kept very vague by Sam. He wasn't sure how many intruders were in the room when the form first injured him, and he definitely didn't know whether or not the form was male or female. Mm. In an interview later, Sam called the form a biped Hmm. do you know what that means no so like not human okay i had to google it because i didn't know biped yeah okay at 6 a.m officer fred drinken arrived at the shepherd home and what he saw in the upstairs bedroom was horrendous he found Marilyn's body laying face up on the bed with her face completely unrecognizable and it was turned toward the bedroom door Her legs had been pulled underneath the wooden bar at the end of their bed. Her top was pulled up above her breasts and her bottoms had been removed from one leg. She had over 20 curved deep gashes in her face and scalp. What the hell? She was completely covered in blood and the covers and pillows were soaked in blood. The walls and closet doors were covered in blood splatter. Mm. So she was bludgeoned to death. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the autopsy would later determined that she had died around 4.30 a.m. and that she had been four months pregnant with a boy. Oh, no. Yeah, so sad. So, Officer Drinken, I think that's how you pronounce it. These names are so different. Drinken found evidence of a, found evidence of a robbery or what could have been a staged robbery, which is what they leaned more towards. Mm-hmm. Sam's medical bag was dumped out into the hallway floor. And um, his high school track trophy trophy laid next to Marilyn's bowling trophy on the floor in the den. And both of them were scratched up and broken. The drawers in Sam's desk were all open, but they were opened in an orderly and even fashion. So not like disheveled. Right. It's not all over the place. Right. Like not what a robbery would have done. Yeah. Or a robber would have done. Right. Um, But nothing was missing, which is just also weird. Yeah. So Otto Graham of the Cleveland Browns was neighbors with Sam and Marilyn. 
Whenever Otto would be away for work, Sam would take Marilyn and Otto's wife, Beverly, who was also good friends with Marilyn, water skiing in Lake Erie. The police allowed Otto into the home, which is so weird. Yeah. Like, the 50s was a crazy time. Yeah. Um, and this was even though the crime scene hadn't been secured yet. They just didn't give a damn back they, then. No, they didn't. Otto told the Saturday Evening Post, Oh my God, it looks like someone stood in the middle of the room with a great big can of red paint and brushed and flicked it all around. This wasn't a couple of blows. Oh no, whoever did it, they had to be out of their mind. Mm. So sad. Mm. And also, they just shouldn't let that happen because, I mean, that's probably traumatized him. Yeah, yeah. So the coroner, Sam Gerber, arrived on scene. Officer Drinken filled the coroner in on everything that he had found while doing his, um, uh, sorry, I just lost my place, uh, that he had found while doing his, um, oh my God, (laughs) while doing, okay, while doing his investigation, he suspected that this was a case of domestic homicide due to the obvious staged robbery and with the fact that Sam's story literally made no sense. Because of this, he didn't spend the extra time retrieving fingerprints and blood evidence as he normally would have. Because he just automatically assumed Sam did it. Yeah. The coroner made his way to the hospital to interview Sam. It took about 10 minutes, and then he collected Sam's things, including his, like, super wet shoes, belt, boxers, and pants, which had a blood stain on the knee as evidence. Then he headed back to the shepherd's house where he ordered two young detectives to visit Sam in the hospital to hopefully get a full confession. But Sam stuck to his story. Marilyn's murder quickly became extremely popular in Cleveland's newspapers. The Cleveland Press released an article about the murder with the murder with Marilyn's picture just below the headline, which read, Doctor's Wife Murdered in Bay Village. Just below this was a photo of Sam in the hospital with a neck brace on. The article was very sympathetic towards him, suggesting that thieves had broken into the home looking for drugs. But it didn't take long for them to turn on Sam as rumors and facts started popping up. It was obvious that this murder wasn't being taken as seriously as it should have been. Detectives were acting slowly and not doing what they could or should with evidence. Imagine that. Right. If Sam did murder his wife, what could have been the motive? A neighbor reported that Marilyn had once said that Sam had become sterile from being around the x-ray machines too much. Uh-oh. Maybe Sam was acting, or maybe Sam was actually sterile and the baby in Marilyn's womb wasn't his. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this how many times before? Hundreds of times? Yeah. But they tested the DNA of the fetus, and that rumor was quickly squashed. Okay, good. Another possible motive was Sam having an affair. According to Nancy, Sam had been seeing a nurse at the hospital he worked at and apparently had showered her with tons of gifts. Mm. We've seen this a hundred times before. Mm -hmm. July 10th, Sam appeared at the sheriff's HQ for questioning, which he agreed to on his own accord. So they didn't, like force him he just willingly showed up to Mm -hmm. answer questions the police asked him if he had been having an affair with the nurse susan hayes but sam said that they were only good friends and had never been involved with each other intimately 
Susan Hayes, on the other hand, had a very different story. Mm. She said that her and Dr. Shepard definitely had a sexual relationship. This caused the public to view Sam as a liar who definitely had a motive to kill Marilyn. Mm -hmm. We've seen that so many times. Yep. They try to get rid of their significant other by killing them, thinking, I'm just going to kill my wife and then I'm going to go live happily ever after with this new girl. Because that totally works out. Every single time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chris Watts. Literally. The Cleveland press pretty much demanded an inquest for Sam Shepard by the coroner, Sam Gerber. The day after this release, Gerber held the inquest in a school gym in Bay Village. It was filled with the people listening in on Gerber interrogating Sam. All the while, Sam's attorney had to stay in the stands away from Sam, which to me is kind of weird. Like, they forced his lawyer to stay away from him. Yeah. Many of the onlookers described Sam as being detached and quote-unquote cool. As an example, Gerber asked Sam whether he ran or walked to catch the forum, and Sam replied, I can't give you a specific recollection. I proceeded, or I proceeded as rapidly as I could. Which is kind of weird, like you would think you would know whether or not you ran after somebody or if you walked. But then again, like, if Sam didn't do it, I mean, that's a pretty traumatic thing. I mean, I probably wouldn't remember small details, too. Of course. Yeah, you're kind of running on yeah your instinct and 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 your brain is just you know protecting you almost exactly Mm -hmm. so the next morning sam was questioned again about susan hayes and with his lawyer's advice denied having any sexual relations with susan the theory was that the questions could be ruled inadmissible in a criminal trial because they were irrelevant Gerber pressed Sam, though, specifically about a four-night stay at a private home in Southern California a few months before the murder of his wife. When the attorney, Bill Corrigan, um, shouted at a private court reporter that he had hired to record the audience's reactions in a transcript, Gerber ordered that he be forcefully removed from the gym, which to me seems odd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A week later, the Cleveland Press ran an editorial about how Sam Shepard should be brought to police headquarters for a grilling. It ran with the headline, Quit Stalling, Bring Him In. The police arrested Sam shortly after this at 1030 while at his parents' house. For the next 22 hours, Sam was grilled by police trying to retrieve a confession, but Sam never wavered and stuck to his story. August 16th, a grand jury got together to calculate the evidence against Sam. Mary Houck, um, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. May, uh, okay, it says May Hook. What? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Okay, it's, it's supposed to be Mayor Houck. <laughs> I typed in May Hook. Okay. Mayor Hauk. You said Mary at first. <laughs> I know. I am so... Okay, I need new glasses. So, Mayor Hauk, who was the man Sam immediately called after finding his murdered wife, spoke about a conversation he had with Marilyn where he described Sam as a Jekyll and a Hyde. Mm. They listened to Susan Hayes and more about her love affair with Sam Shepard. 
James MacArthur, who was a police investigator, pointed out that there was evidence that Sam wanted a divorce and Marilyn refused to give that to him. So that kind of goes with the theory that he's trying to get rid of his wife. Sounds like a motive. Yep. Sam had already posted a $50,000 bail and was released from jail. But on August 17th, he was rearrested on the count of first-degree murder. Mm. Sam's trial began on October 18th, 1954 with Judge Edward Blythen. Dorothy Kilgallen, who is a columnist and star for the television show What's My Line, wrote in a report... The fact that at this stage it is equally possible for the rational mind to find him innocent or guilty is what may make the Shepherd trial a celebrated cause to rank with. The classic puzzle of Lizzie Borden, mm. which to me speaks volumes. It's like, yeah, you know, this uh, everybody's kind of like, did he do it or did he not do it? I kind of don't think he did, but I do think he did. And here, you know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how it was with the Lizzie Borden case, mm-hmm. which we need to cover Yes. After our trip to Massachusetts. Yes, we do. Not long after writing this, Judge Bly then told Kilgallen in private that the case was open and shut. He's guilty as hell. Mm. Which Kilgallen promised not to report those words until after the judge had passed away, which he did a decade later. Mm. So this judge had already decided mm-hmm. that Sam was guilty, which, I mean, I don't blame him. If somebody was like, a bushy-haired white form killed my wife, I'd be yeah. like, bitch, you're a liar. Like, come up with a better story, right, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so Judge Blythen also denied the request for the trial to be moved out of Cleveland due to all the publicity around the case. The jury was selected, and most of them already knew a lot about the case, which is... Not how it's supposed to go. No. You know? Not nowadays. No. Well, even back then, too. Okay. On November 3rd, the jury was taken to the Shepherd home to tour the crime scene. Does that really? happen these days? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Wow. The 50s were wild, But man. maybe, like, police didn't take, like, evidence photos and stuff like they do now. I don't know. I mean, they have a lot of other photos as evidence. So. True. 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 So they specifically went to the bedroom where Marilyn was murdered. They were shown the desk with the evenly pulled out drawers and the steps leading to the shores of Lake Erie where Sam had supposedly wrestled with the bushy-haired white form in the sand. (laughs) When they passed by Sam's son, Chip's bedroom, Sam began to cry while looking at a teddy bear sitting on top of his dresser. Hmm. So, I don't know what that means, but I thought I would tell you guys. Like, I feel like he probably should have been crying, like, in the bedroom where his wife was murdered. Yeah, but then also, like, you know, maybe he he's thinking. your kid. Yeah, and maybe he's thinking about how, you know, the murder of his mom is going to affect him, or I don't know. Hmm. It could be so many different things. Yeah. So the next day, Prosecutor John Mahan told the jury, a reasonable interpretation of the state's evidence will point the finger of guilt at Sam Shepard. The evidence would show that this defendant and Marilyn were quarreling about the activities of Dr. Sam Shepard with other women, at, and that this was the reason Marilyn was killed. Fred Grimon, Grimon, I don't really know, spoke for the defense saying that the evidence did not show that Sam had a motive to kill. He said that Sam and Marilyn had just enjoyed the best four months of their marriage, which I didn't see any evidence for that, but, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe he had some, I don't know. 
So Dr. Lester Adelson proved that Marilyn died a violent death by showing autopsy slides of her beaten body to the jury. Everyone in the room was severely disturbed by the images. Sam stood in a corner of the room with his back to the screen. Mm. What do you think of that? Um, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that could go two different ways. I mean, who wants to see their body, you know, their wife's body bludgeoned, number yeah. one, if it wasn't them? Number two, who wants to see their wife's body bludgeoned if it was them? Either way, I mean, you're either just extremely disturbed and saddened or you feel guilty and you can't look. Right. It so, could be grief or shame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I thought, too. Okay. Um, okay. Let me, you know, find my, where I was again. Okay. Um, um, Bill Corrigan tried to push that Marilyn died by choking on her own vomit, but Adelson highly disagreed and said, Mrs. Shepard died because she was beaten to death. She Mm -hmm. was alive with when those blows or some of them were struck because hemorrhages found in her brain could not otherwise have developed. What? Okay, so what they're trying to say, the bludgeoning didn't kill her, choking on her own vomit did? Yeah. I think, and I think that they were thinking that, or they're trying to push that, because if he was convicted... It wouldn't be... He didn't, it wouldn't be first degree, it would be like, he beated her up, and then she died because she choked on her own vomit, which would be like, what, second degree or something like that, I don't know. They'll do anything, Mm -hmm. they really will. So then we have Fred Drinken's testimony where he talked about his investigation on the night of the murder. He talked about how he found no traces of a struggle in the house and no sign of forced entry into the home, which is a big one. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody's breaking in to murder you. Mm-hmm. They're going to force their way in. That's right. Coroner Sam Gerber said the most damning piece of evidence, which was that the blood stain on Marilyn's pillow was caused by the actual murder weapon. He said, in this blood stain, I could make out the impression of a surgical instrument. Mm. Then he showed two color slides of the blood stain to the jury and then paint, pointed out where the impression of a claw-like object was. Corrigan, though, suggested that the impression was due to overlay of the pillowcases, like them sliding around and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Gerber also showed a slide of Sam's watch, which had blood splatter on it. I guess, so they never really explained how they got his watch, because they said his watch was missing. Hmm. Like, when he first woke up. Yeah. After all that. And then somehow they ended up finding it. So, I don't... It never specified, so... Interesting. Um, so, Detective Robert testified that there were tons of inconsistencies in Sam's story. Each time he told his story on what happened, the form hit him or clubbed him in a different spot in the house each time. He also talked about how Sam was lying about his intimate relationship with Susan Hayes. Bill Corrigan tried to persuade the jury by showing them evidence that Sam could not have given himself the injury he received on on the night of the murder. It would have been extremely difficult or even impossible for him to do to himself. Mm -hmm. Stephen Shepard testified that when he first saw Sam after the murder, he thought that he was dead. The muscles in his neck were spasming and making involuntary movements. Um, He kept blocking out, sorry, he kept blacking out and had to practically be dragged to the hospital to get it checked out. Four doctors and three nurses that oversaw Sam were brought in as witnesses where they confirmed Sam's injuries. 
Nurse Anna Franz testified that Sam's feet were all shriveled up as if they had been in water for a long time, hmm. which goes with him, you know, out on the shore after the white form hit him again and made him black out. Mm-hmm. Dr. Um, Gervis Flick testified that the x-ray done on Sam revealed a possible fracture to his second cervical vertebrae. Dr. Clifford Foster testified that there was swelling at the base of his skull. Dr. Charles Elkins testified that the neck spasms in Sam's neck could not have been faked. They proved that there was a real and significant injury to his neck. But then again, you could also argue that Marilyn did it while Sam was attacking him. Yeah. That would make sense, you know? Attacking her. Yes. When Sam was attacking her, she could have hit him with something. Right. So finally, Sam was placed on the stand to give his story of what had happened and his relationship with Marilyn. He described a pretty typical marriage between the two of them with no hint or speculation of divorce. He pointed out that that they were not perfect and they had their annoyances with each other, but it wasn't outside the realm of a normal functioning relationship, which they would all say, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I took... Okay, so I took this next paragraph verbatim from the article because I just feel like they said it best and I really couldn't just Mm -hmm. make it my own. Mm -hmm. So it says, Shepard's description of the events of the murder night roughly tracked his um, earlier statements. His style, however, was stifled. He, or stilted, I'm sorry. He visualized rather than saw forms. He was stimulated to go to Marilyn when he heard her cry found Marilyn in a bad condition and later had a vague sensation of being in the water after wrestling with the form who had evidence of a good sized head. So weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is this what a man whose wife had been murdered would really feel and think? The jury seems skeptical. So basically it's saying like um, he instead of saying like i saw blah 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 he would say i visualized Mm -hmm. which is weird Mm -hmm. and instead of saying like you know he he heard marilyn scream so he rushed up there yeah he was stimulated to go to marilyn because he heard her scream which is weird right very weird and when he found marilyn she was in a bad condition not she was in you know, covered in blood and just, Mm -hmm. you know, describing this horrific scene of his wife. Why is he he using words like that? That's what they think is strange. Yeah. It's like, why are are you saying these things? Why Mm -hmm. not, you know? Just say it how it is. It's it's weird verbiage. It sounds almost like shame. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like he... Doesn't want to admit it mm -hmm. to himself. Right. On December 17th, the jury went into deliberation. It took them four days to reach a verdict. They found Sam Shepard not guilty of first-degree murder, but guilty of murder in the second degree. Sam was sentenced to life in prison with his first eligibility of parole being in 10 years. So within the next seven years that Sam was in maximum security prison, Sam's mother committed suicide and his father died of cancer and the courts rejected his appeals. Hmm. Dr. Paul Kirk, who was a respected criminalist in California, conducted his own thorough investigation of the Shepherd home. He published a report stating that the attacker was left-handed, which 
Sam was right-handed mm-hmm. and most likely used a flashlight as the murder weapon and not a surgical tool. He also believed that it had been someone who hated the shepherds. There was blood found in the room that did not belong to either Sam or Marilyn. And if you remember, the detective did not take any blood evidence or yeah. fingerprint evidence. They found they took one fingerprint evidence and it was Sam's thumbprint on the headboard of Marilyn's bed, which means nothing. Exactly. You know? Like he lives there. <laughs> So, three months after this report was published, a neighbor who lived next to the shepherds found a dented flashlight in shallow water in Lake Erie. November 1959, Richard Eberling, who had been washing windows at the shepherd home around the time of the murder, was arrested for larceny. And police searched his home and found many stolen items, but specifically a cocktail ring that belonged to Marilyn. Hmm. Which is interesting, right? Yes. Very interesting. A police officer asked Richard why his blood had turned up in the Shepherd home in 1954. And his blood was not found at the Shepherd's house, but he just kind of wanted to try and trick him to see what he would say about it. Um, And Richard told the officer that he had cut his finger while replacing storm windows and that he had dripped blood all throughout the house. Kind of sketchy, right? Mm-hmm. It's getting all the more sketchy. Chicago reporter Paul Holmes cited in a book that Sam Shepard had been wrongfully convicted. So Sam's lawyer died in 1961, so he hired a new one named F. L. I mean F. Lee Bailey, who filed a petition for habeas corpus in federal court. Bailey pointed out that all of the publicity on the case prevented Sam from having a right to the due process of law. July of 1964, federal federal district judge Carl Weinman overturned Shepard's conviction. Weinman clued the 1954 trial as a mockery of justice. With a surprising 8 to 1 vote, Sam's conviction was reversed on the grounds that there wasn't a that he wasn't able to have a fair trial due to the publicity of his case. They planned to retry Sam for the murder of his wife. The defense dismissed the surgical tool being the murder weapon. They also reduced Sam Gerber into a more minor role than in the 1954 trial because it's also like, why the fuck is the coroner like leading this investigation? Yeah. It's kind of odd, I think. I mean, there's so much wrong with us. (laughs) There's so much, yes. Um, so Bailey cross-examined Gerber about the surgical tool where he basically admitted that there's no way that there's a surgical tool that matched the impression mm-hmm. of what was found on the pillow. Mm-hmm. Like a claw-like surgical tool, there just wasn't one. Yeah. So Mary Cowan was questioned by prosecution about the blood spots found on the watch Cowan testified that the blood was blood splatter that could have happened while Sam was murdering his wife. Mm-hmm. Bailey brought his forensic expert to the stand, Dr. Paul Kirk, who examined color photographs of the watch where he, where he concluded, <clears throat> for the most part, it looks like contact transfer. Okay. So not like blood splatter. Right. Yes. And so like if he was checking her pulse with the watch on his hand, I mean, it would make sense that some blood could get on it. Yeah. 
Bailey wanted to introduce the idea of a different killer to the jury, but he felt as if Richard Eberling wasn't the one because he had passed the polygraph um, about the murder mm-hmm. um, during the 1954 trial. Mm-hmm. So instead, he narrated a story of es- Esther Houck, who was the mayor's wife, um, that she was angry at Marilyn for having an affair with Spencer Houck, who you know was the mayor, and so they killed, or she killed Marilyn. Oh. There was no evidence that Spencer and Marilyn were having an affair, but a delivery man testified that one morning he saw Marilyn having coffee with a distinguished older gentleman. Hmm. And Bailey was not allowed to report this in court, but they, um, he showed this delivery person, um, you know, a bunch of photos of people, and he picked out Spencer Houck. Hmm. So... Who knows? Um, so the prospect of Spencer helping Esther kill Marilyn was pretty high. Mm-hmm. Esther even admitted that she had started a fire in her fireplace on the morning of the murder, but it was almost 70 degrees outside. So that's odd, right? That is odd. Very odd. Bailey hoped the jury would think that Esther was burning clothes stained in blood to get Ooh. rid of the evidence, which couldn't have been. Mm-hmm. In closing, Bailey said, someone was angry, angry enough to kill, someone who didn't have the strength in her arm that Sam Shepard had, for indeed he would have crushed that skull like an eggshell. On November 16, 1966, Sam Shepard was acquitted. Sam returned back to his surgical practices, but all that time in prison had deteriorated his skills, and he ended up botching two surgeries, killing both patients. Oh my god. Yeah. And then by April 6, 1970, Sam Shepard died at the age of 46 due to liver disease. Wow. So nobody knows what happened. Nobody was, I mean, he was, you know, convicted and mm-hmm. went to prison for it, but. Then got off. He got off because there was enough, you know, doubt to not convict him. So I wonder how that would have played out nowadays with you know all the dna evidence and stuff that we Forensic have now stuff yeah what do you think i don't know it's so odd because like the bushy haired white form to that's me, a ridiculous thing to say beyond ridiculous but you know like maybe it wasn't really a bushy haired white form but you know if you get hit in the head enough to be knocked out who knows what you might have seen right. you know things could have been blurry <clears throat> could have seemed like a white bushy haired form i really don't know i think that part's super that's super weird like it kind of yeah. seems like a cop out like you know how people will say um oh this was the murderer and they'll describe the person mm-hmm. and it you know it's not a real person or you know even with ruth finley mm-hmm. um the poet you know she described a person mm-hmm. and they found all these different people who looked like him and fit you know this description and none of them turned out right so he could have been like you know i can't really say somebody or a specific you know looking person so i'm just gonna say something fucking weird <laughs> and they can't discredit it because there's no proof you know i mean the proof would be um that doesn't happen sir <laughs> yeah but you can't prove that it didn't really you know could have been somebody in a costume who knows that i don't shit's know it's crazy but i do feel like i mean i kind of feel like sam probably did do it yeah but i don't think that the way that 
the coroner and everybody went about it did it the right way Mm -hmm. like if they would have done things the right way they probably could have convicted him but they were making up some weird stuff like a clawed surgical tool and (sighs) i don't know but then again you know sam obviously after prison was not okay he -hmm. died from liver disease because of like all these weird drugs he was taking and Mm -hmm. he just was not okay and i mean maybe it was prison life that did it to him i don't know Mm. but god i don't know that i'd want a surgeon that just left prison to operate on me the 50s well i guess it was (laughs) what the 70s at this point still a weird time yeah very i would never yeah i don't know but anyways, that's the case. I hope that that wasn't too boring. No, it wasn't. It's very interesting. And uh, I'm lost. I, I don't know. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, when you have a case I that... will tell you who it was not. Who? A bushy-haired white figure. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Yes, that's true. And I actually found this one online by Googling, like, murder with a twist. And mm-hmm. I saw a bushy-haired white form. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so interesting. Like, what? <laughs> this man really is out here giving this story? Yeah. Like, But, uh, again, the 50s was a weird time. True that. Know, I mean, obviously, the jury was hung. I mean, honestly, if it were me, I'd be like, this motherfucker's guilty because a bushy-haired white form? What? Yeah. No. But the, they were literally like, I don't know. He probably didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Well. All right, guys. Well, I guess we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back. Hello again, and welcome back. Hello, hello. So this is part two of episode 49. Um, I am going to cite my sources. Oh, I forgot to do that. <laughs> you did. <laughs> when? You remind me. I didn't think about it until you just said that, but yeah, you did not do okay, that. Go see what my source was while you tell your source. So I pulled my info, info from metro.co.uk talkmurderwithme.com that's one of my faves nypost.com closeronline.co.uk thetimes.co.uk and thewashingtonpost.com so this is this can I say my source really fast Uh I got mine from famoustrials.com they actually had a very long and very in-depth and interesting article so you guys should read it cool all right, so this is the story of Sophie Lyonnais. So Sophie Lyonnais was 20 years old when she decided that she wanted to move from northeast France to London to improve her English and explore some new ventures. The sweet, shy, and reserved Sophie had taken a class after high school in childcare and decided that becoming an au pair would be the perfect job. She would get to travel, leave her comfort zone, and work with children. She was ready to spread her wings. Sounds terrible. Sounds awful. Just awful. (laughs) So an au pair is a foreign nanny, basically. Au pairs are usually female, and they're usually between the ages of 18 and 30. Au pairs work for a family and are typically provided a room, meals, and compensation in exchange for childcare and light household chores. So it's basically a, na- a live-in nanny. Right. Which, 
not me. <laughs> no, thanks. But more power to those that can do that. Those who love children, I salute you. Mm-hmm. I love my child. Right. I love your child, too. Yeah, I love your child as well. <laughs> but outside of that, it's like, meh. It's like, meh. <laughs> So uh, when Sophie arrived in London in January of 2016, everything looked picture perfect. She had been placed in an upscale home in Wimbledon with French nationals Sabrina Quida and her partner, Wisa Medini, who was also known as Sam. Medini. Medini. Love it. The couple did well for themselves. Sabrina was a successful fashion designer and makeup artist who mingled with the rich and famous at fashion events. Wow. And Sam was a financial analyst at a local bank. The home they lived in was valued at over a million U.S. dollars. Fancy. Fancy, fancy. The pair had two boys, age four and eight. One of the boys belonged to Sabrina and her ex-boyfriend, Mark Walton. He was a founding member of the U.K. band Boyzone. And we will talk more about him later on. Boy zone, huh? Boy zone. Apparently, they're super famous in Europe. Like boy zone or boy zone? Boy zone. It's one word. Boy Boy zone. zone. Okay. Boy zone. Boy zone. Mm Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like Backstreet Boys or something. I feel like it's a boy band. Have you listened to any of their music? I have not. Hmm. I wonder what they sound like. Backstreet Boys. (laughs) (laughs) I I could totally be wrong. So Sabrina Quidaw was born in Algeria, and she had moved to France when she was a child. On her 18th birthday, she jumped from a fourth-floor balcony and suffered serious back injuries. Why? Why she did that, I do not know. I don't know. When we talk a little bit later, it makes me wonder maybe if it was possibly a suicide attempt, but I do not know why she did that. Oh, well, that's really sad. But it messed her up. So she met Sam Medini shortly after when she was just 19 years old, and he was five years her senior. Right away, Sam was blown away by Sabrina. She was a beauty. He began pursuing her relentlessly, and soon he was wrapped around her finger. Sabrina was manipulative and conniving. Oof. She cheated on Sam and left him several times for other men. But she always returned to him, and he took her back with no questions asked. Sad. Very sad. In 2005, when she was 22, Sabrina left France for London for a job as a, guess what? What? Au pair. Oh, wow. Okay. That particular fact makes this story all the more scary. Right. Let me just say that. Anyway, Sophie arrives to the home of Sabrina and Sam, and she's warmly welcomed. The children loved her, and she became friends with several other nannies who worked in the area. She made fast friends with Sabrina, who even gave her a makeover at one point. Oh, that's sweet. Sophie was not one for material things. She dressed quite simply, and she didn't do much to herself makeup-wise, so this was fun for her. She called her mom to speak of the positive experience and how happy she was to be in the home. From the outside, 35-year-old Sabrina seemed to have it all. She was a seasoned traveler, a wealthy businesswoman, a mom of two handsome boys, and she had a lovely home with her man, right? Sounds like the life. Sounds like it, but not so much. 
It didn't take but a couple of months before Sophie started noticing an entirely different side of Sabrina. Uh Uh-oh. Neighbors would later refer to Sabrina and Sam as, and I quote, antisocial and odd. Sabrina always looked very glamorous, and she dressed well, they said. But the two of them were not friendly, and they were often inconsiderate of those living around them. They were known to leave their trash sitting outside on the street next to their home for days at a time. What? Their trash? Yeah, just garbage. Do they not have trash pickup? I don't know. They just left trash outside all the time. Do other countries have trash pickup? I feel like they do. I don't know. Um, But they would also block their neighbor's driveways with their car. They were just super inconsiderate. Hey, Danielle from Ireland. Do you guys have trash pickup? (laughs) I want to know. Yeah, Danielle, tell us. I'm sure they do. (laughs) Um, So, And they also just hardly ever paid their rent on time. So they just were super inconsiderate. Not the most responsible. Imagine being rich as fuck and not paying your rent on time. Exactly. Well, imagine being rich as fuck and renting a house. That's kind of weird to me, but... You've hey. done it. But I, I'm I'm not rich. <laughs> You're rich as fuck. And when I rented a house, I was making a lot less money. It's, it's all the same to me. <laughs> okay. So when things started going downhill, Sophie was working long hours for very little pay. Oh, no. The couple weren't allowing Sophie to eat huh? or leave the home. I would just leave. Well, everyone says that. Exactly. And then the accusations started flying. It began with an absurd delusional idea that Sabrina made up. Sabrina and Sam started accusing Sophie of teaming up with Mark Walton, Sabrina's ex from 2011 to 2013, in an attempt to do the family harm. Sabrina's insane accusations against Sophie included that she was sleeping with Mark, that she was a pedophile. Oh, my God. But you're still letting her around your kids? Mm -hmm. Okay. That she was a spy and that she was helping Mark enter their home so that he could drug and sexually assault her, Sam, and the children. Okay. There's definitely some mental illness going on here. Clearly. Let me just mention this. Sophie had never met Mark Walton in her life. Oh, my gosh. As a matter of fact, he was living, he was living 5,000 miles away in Beverly Hills recording and producing music at the time. Okay, what a psycho. She's crazy. Poor Sophie. She's probably very confused. I'm very scared. Yeah. Imagine being accused of those things and you're like, you feel trapped. Dude, I can't. And as I said, she was very shy, reserved, naive, kind of. You know, she was just 20. She was a baby. Just trying in a to whole new world. Take mm-hmm. care of some kids for some change, man. Yeah. So Sabrina and Mark had a particularly nasty breakup that Sabrina just never really got over. She was completely and totally obsessed with him. She would call him and accuse him of sexually abusing her cat. What? <laughs> Get this, though. She didn't even have a cat. <laughs> okay. This woman not, is out of her mind. I'm not laughing because it's not funny. It's just weird. It's insanity. It's sad. Oh, my God. I can't imagine being him and getting a phone call that's like, hey. You're molesting my cat. That I don't even have. Like, what the fuck? Dude, I don't know. So odd. And she would also accuse him of using black magic on her. And she'd accuse him of hiring a 
a helicopter to fly over her house and spy on her. Somebody needs to get this bitch help. Dude, it is so delusional and, and just crazy. Wow. She also claimed that he was sleeping with male prostitutes and she had set up security cameras inside their home when they were together. Where's her evidence? There is none. She's just crazy. Oh my God, I'm glad he got away. Dang. Yeah. So the couple broke up in 2013, and police received more than 30 reports from Sabrina about Mark. Oh my gosh. Every single one of which turned out to be lies. At one point, police warned her to stop harassing Mark after she was found to have a fake Facebook profile that she would stalk him from and accuse him publicly of being a pedophile from. Okay, she definitely has some backed up trauma. Serious issues here. Mark Walton later told a courtroom that he had been in love with Sabrina, but that she would suddenly flip. He could never predict when she would suddenly snap and start screaming at him. So a Jekyll and a Hyde. Exactly. Sabrina's unwarranted suspicions towards Sophie worsened over the following months. Sabrina was absolutely convinced that Sophie had a relationship going on with Mark Walton. You're probably wondering about Sam, right? The boyfriend. Yeah. In the beginning, when Sabrina's Sabrina's violent behavior towards Sophie was just starting out, he would just leave the home and he would go for a walk instead of intervening. Okay, that's terrible. Yeah, well, I'll just let you deal with this. Bye, I gotta go. I'm just gonna let you, you know, abuse our au pair who's, you know, interested to take care of her kids. Yeah. Okay, bye. However, it was not long before he began participating in the abuse. Shame, shame. seen that one come in. Shame, shame. He was completely on board with anything Sabrina said or did, no matter how off the wall it was. I would, if I were him, I would be pissed that, I mean, she was doing this to Sophie, but I'd also be like, get over him. God. Yeah. Like, who cares if she's sleeping with him? Yeah. Like, you're married to me. We got kids, man. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in fact, Sam not only entertained her delusions, but he fully embraced them, and he would do anything that she asked of him. So, both psychos. Yes. In April of 2017, about 15 months into her stay in London, Sophie's mother, Catherine, noticed that her daughter seemed unhappy when they spoke on the phone. Sophie said she just wanted to come home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Her mother brought her a pl- or bought her a plane ticket. However, it would never be used. On August 8, 2017, Catherine recalled that Sophie had called her again, this time crying and sounding disoriented. At that point, Sophie was being beaten, waterboarded, and interrogated constantly. Oh my gosh, poor girl. She had not been fed, and she had lost a ton of weight. That is so sad heartbreaking so now here's the question like you said a little while ago why didn't she just leave sophie felt trapped she was scared sabrina had gone as far as to take away her passport so that she couldn't leave the country oh no sophie was young and naive and vulnerable and she didn't speak english well and this made her a very easy target for abuse from the demented sabrina The couple was able to break her down with their vicious and relentless interrogations, which involved brutal beatings, 
and holding her head underwater in the bathtub. This is not off topic, but it is. But I actually watched this documentary like a long time ago about how it is actually so common for um, like people from other countries, specifically like Mexico, Mm -hmm. to come to the U.S. and, you know, be like a live-in maid or a nanny or whatever Mm -hmm. and people hold them hostage and you know abuse them abusive and like like i watched is this documentary about this one woman who was literally trapped in this house in this normal subdivision for like 15 years never left the house she was beaten and abused and it's like slavery it it, that's what they were talking about is that it is slavery it's and they don't pay them or anything and and they get away with it because like how terrifying i mean first of all they're manipulating them but also like if they go to the police they get deported and they get in trouble and it's just this whole thing and like it's so scary yeah that's awful I didn't know that that was such like a common thing. That's terrifying. Yeah. And in the documentary, it like showed a, um, like a you know a, like a helicopter view of like a, a city, and they're like, you know, how many of these houses have somebody in it like that? A where, slave, like yeah. yeah. And you would just never know. Mm. Yeah, that's horrifying. What the hell's wrong with people? I don't know. So eventually, the broken down Sophie felt that she had no choice but to agree to the deranged accusations. And uh, she said that she was conspiring to help Mark Walton come into their home so that he could drug them and sexually assault them. Yikes. They threatened her with rape, violence, and prison if she didn't confess. A haunting video taken on September 18th, 2007 of Sophie, quote unquote, confessing was shown to a jury later. It was clearly anything but voluntary. The video shows a very thin and broken Sophie. The couple had recorded more than eight hours of repetitive torture on their cell phones. Wow. Shortly after this particular video was taken, Sophie was dead. So sad. Sophie was murdered in cold blood. Before she was killed, Sophie suffered significant torture at the hands of her evil employers. Her injuries included a shattered jawbone, broken sternum, and five broken ribs. Eventually, she was drowned in the family bathtub by the monster she went to work for. Wow. The couple had sex to celebrate the occasion right next to Sophie's body. That's just what you do, right? Disgusting humans. Soon, neighbors would call the fire department after spotting black smoke rising from behind the mansion. The smell was alarmingly pungent and foul. When firefighters arrived, they opened the gate to the garden to see a blazing bonfire. Once the fire was put out, firefighter Thomas Hunt immediately noticed clothing, jewelry, a human nose, and fingers in the smoking pile. Oh my gosh. Why are you burning a body? The disturbed firefighter asked the homeowner what a question yeah i mean what the hell else i, I yeah i'm trying what to get rid of it yeah what, what do you mean <clears throat> to which sam replied it's a sheep it's a sheep it's a sheep um okay how do you explain the human nose yeah exactly Is it a sheep with a human nose so basically the firefighter was like bullocks like thank god he wasn't like oh okay yeah 
So the two of them had even started the grill and cooked chicken, trying to mask the smell of the burning body. I'm sure that worked out just fine. Totally worked. So they're grilling a barbecue, having a barbecue. God, that is so gross. After having sex, you know, and just celebrating the occasion. Woohoo. So police were called to the London house to recover what would later be identified as the charred body of Sophie Lyonnais. Wow. While searching the home after Sophie's murder, investigators never found her passport or the plane ticket her mother had bought her. And it was likely that the couple had gotten rid of them. Yeah. After Sophie's death, Sophie's friend said, It's not fair. It's not right. We would see her everywhere in South South London with the boys. She was at the library with them. She was their rock. Wherever she went, wherever she went, she was with the boys. We never saw her without the boys ever. The friend continued, all of London's nannies are grieving. You get to know nannies in the area because we all go to the same places, to the library and things. We are all in absolute pieces over it. In court, uh, Sabrina and Sam each blamed each other for killing Sophie, but both agreed that they had plotted together to burn her body. The judge in the case stated that the crime was a rare instance of, and I'm I'm going to hope I say this correctly. I should have looked this up, but I did not. I looked up everybody's names and made sure I was doing that correctly, but it's fully a dual. Oh, I know what this is. And it is a dual psychosis. That, I think you pronounced it pretty right. Um, Fall Out Boy has an album called that. Oh, really? Or, yeah, Fall Out Boy. Fully a dual? Fully a dual. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, And it is also called Madness of Two. This is when two people have an identical delusion, jointly believing that something is something that is clearly untrue. The shared psychotic disorder happens in closely related or associated people, like twins or married couples. Mm -hmm. Fred and Rosemary West are an example of the shared disorder. Sabrina... Kude, Kuda, Kude, I don't know how you say it, I forget now, who had been diagnosed with depression and borderline personality disorder, had passed along her unhinged delusions to Sam. Sam was found to be mentally stable, but he fully believed Sabrina's claims that Sophie and Mark were conspiring against them. That sounds not stable. Right. Okay. Yeah, so he didn't have any mental disorders necessarily. He was just completely sucked in and believed anything and everything that woman said. Right. Like, what a hold she had over him. That's so sad and scary. It's scary, yeah. Yeah. Sabrina wrote Sophie's family letter, which was read at the couple's sentencing. And she says, this shit is wild. Dear Sophie, may peace be with you. First of all, I wish everyone, including Sophie, especially her parents and family who are suffering badly, to know how deeply sorry I am for what happened to Sophie. Oh, shut up. We shared many good times together as well as pains until things went terribly wrong and it ended up in this horrendous tragedy. I think of you every day and I'm shocked and sad that you are not a part of this world anymore. That Sophie said this? This is Sabrina saying this about Sophie. Sabrina said, yeah, Mm -hmm. wow. Okay, um, just stop. Yeah. It feels like a horrible dream to me that I wish I could just wake up from. Every day I live with sadness and sorrow. I am suffering every day thinking of you and what happened to you that dreadful night. I only wish I could turn the clock back so that it never happened and you would still be alive with us today. 
I will now live without hope and I can't ever imagine being happy again. I struggle every day and I am very disappointed in myself. Sophie, I wish things could have been different and I hope that you rest in peace with God. With deepest regret, Sophie, I'm sorry, Sabrina Kude. Okay, she wrote that like she was a saddened friend that her friend had been murdered. Not that she was a murderer. Right. She never said, like, I'm sorry I did this to you. It was like, I'm sorry this happened to you. Right. Like, I I can't imagine myself ever being happy again. You know, like, come on. Mark Walton described his horror at Sophie's fate. When I saw that picture of Sophie and how scared and vulnerable and haunted she looks, and to think that she was tortured because of me, that haunts me. The poor girl was telling the truth. She never met me, and yet she paid with her life because of those psychopaths. So when he's speaking of a picture, I will have that posted um, on our Facebook and Instagram, but basically it's a picture of Sophie very shortly before her death, where she looks just absolutely emaciated. Is that the word? Emaciated? Yeah, I think emaciated. So. Uh, Just yeah. very, you know, starved and sad. Um, so I will post that to the group. Anyway, the twisted couple were found guilty. And in June, they were jailed for life with a minimum of 30 years behind bars. Judge Nicholas Hilliard said, It is plain from all the evidence that Sophie was a kind, gentle, and good-natured girl. He said that Sabrina and Sam's fantasy that Sophie was involved with Mark Walton was complete fiction. Well, obviously. Sophie Lyonnais was buried at Cemetery de Sense in Sense, France. And that's it. That is horrible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I actually did not know this one. I thought... Oh. I know another story about an au pair, and I thought it was the same one. I might cover that one next week, actually, because it's very interesting. Oh, so that wasn't the one you knew? Mm-mm. No, I did not know that one. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that there was something you had not heard. That was brutal. It's awful. So terrible. And, like, <clears throat> you know, they, I read that she was, Sabrina was very glamorous. And, like, she was. And, like, I hate to, I don't want to say anything good about this sick bitch. But, like, she looked like a famous person. She looked yeah. like a freaking Kardashian. You know what I mean? And it was just, you see this couple and they look completely normal. They don't look, you know, what does a murderer look like anyway? You know what I mean? But it's just so bizarre when you see people. You're looking around like, oh, that's what they look like. But <laughs> they look like normal people. Yeah, you mean, just never know. They, you know, they they really all, all the time talk about how when you think of a monster serial killer, you envision like a like a creepy looking dude. But in all honesty, they all look so normal. They look to like me. normal people. I mean, even John Wayne Gacy, who have in BTK, BTK is probably the weirdest looking of them all. But yeah. they just look like a person you would see at Walmart yeah. or. At a gas station or, you know, in the crowd at a football game or it all literally it's none of them are like they always say Ted Bundy, you know, you would have never suspected it because he was handsome and blah, 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 blah. But Mm -hmm. all of them just seem like normal people. Yeah. And what does what does a monster look like? What does a murderer look like? Like me or you? Yep. Like me or you. It's terrifying. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that's so sad. I feel bad for her family. Yeah. Yeah. God. Poor baby. 
Lockhart bringing in those boys too. I mean, I'm sure they, they grew really close to her. Absolutely. I'm sure they, you know, it doesn't sound like mom and dad were the best parents, obviously. I mean, yeah. If she, if they were with her all the time, like yeah. if I had a live in nanny, my kids would probably only be with them while I was at work. Yeah, at work. And then when I came home, I'd be like, all right, go do whatever. I'm yeah. going to spend time with my kid. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to these two horrible stories. Um, if you don't already follow our group in Facebook, you should do that, um, at for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice and you can follow our TikTok and Instagram at don't drink the Jones juice. And you can buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. You can send your true crime and paranormal stories to our email at don't drink the jones juice at gmail.com and is that it i believe that's it do you still have shirts at the shop i do i do i have a few do you know the sizes no idea we, we say that all the time T- tomorrow when you go in you should get a count and remind me, me i'll do my best <laughs> all right guys thank you again for listening thank you and for god's sake don't drink the jones juice